Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Micah, the third chapter. Now, we've been teaching in the Minor Prophets. We taught Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. And now we're in Micah. We're going right on through the Old Testament Minor Prophets. And uh, so we'll continue to go that way. We're teaching it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This is a short chapter, and possibly we get into the next chapter. But if we don't, we'll... Uh, we won't get that far. But wherever we stop off, we try to pick up in our next lesson. Now, the first thing we'll do is give you a division, division of this chapter. Verses 1 through 4, we have an address to the godless princes and judges. The leaders are, this is a judgment, or the whole chapter has to do with the judgment on the leadership. In fact, you might put that at the head of the chapter. It's judgment on the leadership in Micah has a message on that judgment. And that was verses 1 through 4. You have an address to these godless princes and judges. And then verses 5 through 8, you have an address to the false prophets. They're addressed. And that's 5 through 8. And then we have in verses 9 through 12, the verdict of judgment. Verses 9 through 12. So this is a threefold division. I'll repeat that for you. And some people like to copy it down and others just listen to it. And whatever is your choice, that's fine. But you know, when I was going to seminary, I had to write real fast and write everything down I could. And the more you write down, the more you give a little note in your margin or just mark from verse 1 through 4 and you have a a division there that you can deal with. In verse 5 through 8, you have another division. And verse uh, 9 through 12, you have another division. So if you can just divide it up, these things will... fall into place and make a little more sense to you as we study them. Studying these prophets is not real easy, and yet there are many practical things that apply to to us today that we need to to see, not only as it applied to Israel and Judah in the days of the prophets and the judgments they pronounced upon Israel due to their sins, but you can bring the same things over into Christendom and find where we stand and how God would apply that same word to you and I today when we fall into the same categories they are and how that it would apply to us. <clears throat> and that's really the business of, of uh, setting the principle that they have applied to them and uh, uh, bringing it over into ourselves. So this is the judgment on the leadership. And beginning with verse 1, it says, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and you princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? He's expecting them to know Judgment. Now, I want you to notice the divisions. Notice that word, here I pray you. And turn back. I'll give you two more instances. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, Hear all you people. Chapter 1, verse 2. And then chapter 3, verse 1 says, Here I pray you. And then one more time, you find it in chapter 6. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. So each of these... Chapter 1, verse 2, hear, you, hear all you people. And then here, chapter 3, verse 1, hear I pray you, O heads of Jacob. And then chapter 6, verse 1, hear ye now what the Lord saith. So th- this is three divisions. And by the way, this word, here I pray you, is repeated in this third chapter, if you've got your Bible open. In verse 9, it's repeated, hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob. So he repeats this same word to call their attention to listening to what God has to say. And verse 
9, it kind of exemplifies the fact that he wants them to listen because in verse 9, we said verses 9 through 12, is the verdict of judgment that he pronounces. So let's take it back at verse 1 if you'll look at it again. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? So he uh, brings up the question as he addresses these godless princes in judgment, uh, in judgment that it's for them to know judgment. He's saying here that they should know better than what they're doing. So it's, it's an amazing thing that God addresses leaders even then, and He does now, that the leaders especially should know better than the things that they put up with and the things that they do, and sometimes the things that they... Uh, permit sometimes the things that they encourage. So leaders are to be leaders in the right way instead of compromising and, and uh, permitting people to go the other way. And furthermore, in the case of these, encouraging it. And them being the leaders, uh, they brought about the sins that the children of Israel were steeped in at this time. So this is the address to these princes and heads of the people. Now he says, who hate the good and love the evil. Can you imagine leaders hating the good and loving the evil? And yet this is the kind of example they were uh, setting. And before we go any further, we're going to, as as it's described, what they do, what these leaders do and promote, we're going to stop with that word, who hate the good and love the evil. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 5, I'd like for you to turn to this one. Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 20, I believe it is. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put light for put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So God pronounces a woe upon those that reverse things of this uh, nature. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. You know, in our nation today, we have people that call good evil and evil good. And we have it all over the country. We know that uh, there are many evil things that people put a tag on it. It's good. And the good things they ridicule and make fun of and call evil. I mean, it's an evil thing for you to have convictions of religious nature and to be a Christian and to let it be known to all the, the world how you feel about it. That, that, they, that doesn't sit well. Have you ever noticed these news commentators that if some fella happens to get up there that's a Christian and starts mentioning something about God, boy, they, we got to do a commercial or they got to, they, uh, you know, our time is up now. And the first thing you know, it, it's stilled, isn't it? Cut off. Very seldom, once in a while they will, but very seldom they'll let that person go ahead and continue with the thought and complete his testimony for, for the Lord. And that's, that's the same as uh, we're talking about here, calling evil good and good evil. And then the things that really are evil, if anyone uh, points out with a, a very stern conviction about what sin is in this world, well, uh, and what evil is in our nation, they compromise that. And so we find that uh, that's exactly what these princes and leaders were doing. So n- notice what it says in verse 2. It says, who hate the good and love the evil. And it's going to show the degradation of the nation and how it, uh, the things that pertain to what they led and what they permitted and what they guided uh, was evident. It says, who pluck off their skin from off them. He's telling what they do to the people and their flesh from their bones. Moral corruption of the leaders and the judges we're going to see in these verses and how they rob the people in 
various ways. And it's speaking of them, it says, who pluck off their skin from off them, and their flesh from off their bones. Very ill-treated. Who also eat the flesh of my people, and flay their skin from off them. And they break their bones and chop them in pieces, as for the pot and as the flesh within. Think of all how they treated these people. Think of this moral corruption of these leaders and judges and how they robbed the people and treated them like cattle in a sense of the word. And we're going to find that as a result, in verse 4, the Lord would not hear them when they called. Notice verse 4. It says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord. I mean, there's a time to pray, but not when you've been wicked like this. I mean, the, the crying to the Lord is, should be in repentance. Instead of crying because judgment or calamity has come has come upon you. You know, a lot of people go along until they suffer the consequences of their sins and begin to reap what they've sown. And they say, why did this happen to me? Well, you can look back a little while and see why it happened. You don't have to look far back in the case of these people. They were corrupt to the core. Then shall they cry to the Lord, but He will not hear them. You say, well, God hears every prayer. Well... He doesn't hear to do anything about it for them and for the good because it's not a cry of repentance. It's a cry here because of the consequences of their evil doings. That's what, you remember old Pharaoh? That's exactly what he did when Moses brought the judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Well, old Pharaoh, he cried out and he says, I have sinned. But it wasn't from the heart. It wasn't true repentance. You know, I have a message on the words, I have sinned. There's several times in the Old Testament Old Saul, remember, after he failed to do what God wanted him to do? He says, I have sinned. And there are many times people in the Old Testament and throughout the Scripture have said, I have sinned. But you come to one true repentance, and that's the prodigal son, if you remember the story of the prodigal. When he said, I have sinned against my father. I have sinned against heaven and against thee, he said to his father. I have sinned. And he did something about it. He, re- he arose and came to his father. He returned. He repented. But a lot of times people have said, I have sinned, and they, it's been very slight and very insincere. But old Pharaoh, talking about the judgment coming upon someone, he just let it when, it, when the judgment came, and he would cry out to Moses to remove the plague, whatever would be. Well, then what happened? He turned right around and hardened his heart again against God, and God would have to call upon Moses to bring another plague of judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We'll find that uh, sincere repentance, God will hear the cry. But this kind of cry, God will not hear. And he says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. And it says, He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. That's the reason. No repentance of the ill in their doings, but they behave themselves ill in their doings. So when you come to God and crying to God, you better be sincere about what what you're saying. Because God knows your heart. Now God will hear and answer the cry and the prayers of the children. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer thee. And he will. But if you, the Bible further says that he that turns away from his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So there are conditions to God answering your prayer. Even though he hears, he doesn't hear so as to answer. We know God hears everything. And he sees everything. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. And it says there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. No place to hide from the all-seeing God. And so he's saying here, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time. You know, 
Wouldn't it be a terrible thing for God to hide His face from us? The Bible says the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. It's against them. We want, if we want the shining of God's face upon us, and God does make His face to shine upon the, uh, the godly and the righteous. He tells us that in the Psalms and various other places. If we want that favor from God, we need to be obedient to God. That doesn't mean that when we fall into sin and do something wrong that we can't repent and turn to God and, and get re- forgiveness in, in true repentance. But it does mean that just to cry unto God because some tragedy or some terrible thing has happened and we think that that's the way uh, to deal with a holy God, that's not the way God expects. And he, he won't hear that kind of cry. If you turn to Proverbs, look at Proverbs chapter 1. I wish uh, if you notice... God, you know, God's patience runs out with people that are not, uh, not right and that are hypocrites. And if you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, I want, I want to show you something. We'll read something. Proverbs chapter 1. Let's begin reading with verse uh, 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. That's verse 21. Two. I said 21, didn't I? Verse 22. How long, you simple ones? Now then, look at verse uh, 23. Turn you at my reproof. God says, I'll reprove you. Turn you at my reproof. He says, Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you, and I will make I will make known my words unto you. It's not because we don't know. I will make known my words unto you. And then he goes on to say, look, beginning in verse 24. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel. They wouldn't listen to God. And would none of my reproof. Now what does God say He's going to do? When people will not listen, will not hear, they turn away their ear from hearing the law. He tries to reprove and people will not hear. That's why He said back in the the book of Micah, He says, hear I pray you. He wanted them to hear. They wouldn't hear. Now notice. He says, I also will laugh at your calamity. And I, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. This is all in result of disobeying God's word and not listening to God. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Now, they were not calling in repentance or God would answer. They were calling because of the calamity, right? And he said, I will laugh at your calamity. Verse uh, 28, uh, They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Now, the reason, look, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They had no reverence for God. The fear of the Lord means to reverence God and turn to God. And it says, They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. They will reap what they have sown and be filled with their own, own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Now the last verse gives hope to any... True, sincere repentance. Look at verse 33. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So God has God doesn't have a single standard and say, you know, it's all one. He says the true repentant he will receive, but the unrepentant and the people that just cry because something terrible happens, he's not going to hear. If they cry in repentance, he will hear. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall be shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Back in our book of Micah, chapter three, if you will, verse four, it says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. 
he, he will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Now, we said verses 5 through 8 is the address to the false prophets. The false prophets. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. The word err is to miss the mark, to go astray. If you uh, are shooting an arrow to target and it goes way over there, you have erred, greatly erred. You've missed the mark and they missed the target or a rifle or anything. And so they, the reason they missed was because the prophets that make my people, that bite with their teeth and cry, peace, and he that putteth not, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision. So these false prophets, we'll go and describe what happens. The false prophets were mostly responsible for these abominations that we've spoken of. The leaders were responsible. And the false preachers were responsible. The Bible tells us to beware of false prophets. And we should beware of those that prophesy. In the Old Testament, they prophesy good and not evil. They said, oh, nothing will happen to you. Remember one of the old kings, he says, you know, and it was Micaiah in this instance, he says, don't let Micaiah come and speak because he says he has nothing good to say. Says he, he never says anything good about me. Well, why? Because there wasn't anything good to be said about him. Oh, wicked kings, leading the people astray, ruling in wickedness and in power. Uh, and there wasn't anything. In fact, the prophet had to denounce. And Micaiah did back there. Not Micah here that we're talking about, but Micaiah. Back in, I can turn back in the kings and show you. Some of you are familiar with. And there were many true prophets of God that, that the wicked kings didn't want any, didn't have anything to do with. And they didn't want to hear anything about it. You know, there's something about human nature that does not like to be told about our sins. You know, if we got them, we, we don't want anybody to tell us about them. After all, we can pass over that one, can't we? It's not quite so bad. And we compare it to the fact that, well, we use all kinds of excuses. First of all, we'll say, well, all of us are sinners. Well, that doesn't excuse you for what you're doing. And they say, well, I'm not as sinful as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And we compare other people. No, that's not any way. The Bible tells us we compare ourselves with others that it's a very foolish way to, to judge what you are. You can always find someone worse than yourself. But that's not the way to look at yourself. You know, we taught and preached on one not too many Sundays back. A dedicated Christian, he says... Search me and try, him, try me. He's willing to be tried and tested from the inside out. How many of us will open up our heart before God and say, God, show if there be any wicked way in me and search it out. I'm sure we'll find some. If we search it out, we'll find some things that we need to correct. I hope the light stays on until we get through here. That wind is really kicking up out there, but maybe, just maybe the Lord will be okay with us. One time I was preaching on Elijah from the book of James and how he prayed. And it didn't rain for so many years, three and a half years. And then he prayed again. And I said, and the heavens gave forth their rain. And about that time, a big old clap of thunder and lightning. And the rain just started coming down. But I'm not preaching on the wind here at this time. So I hope the Lord will restrain that for just a little bit. But that's his business. He has his way in the, in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. So we'll do the best we can to under any circumstances. But I want you to notice, it says the Lord in verse 4 would not hear them, and that He'd hide His face from them. Verse 5, He said that they were the, these false prophets, verse 5, were the ones that were causing God's people to, to err. 
And in verse 6 it says, Therefore night shall be unto you, be darkness, that ye shall not have a vision. You can't even see, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. These false prophets, as we said, were mostly responsible for the abominations that were taking place. And you know, we might say, just as the false prophets and false teachers in Christendom today, the deniers of the faith, and we'll call them destructive critics. We have all kinds of critics. And others are responsible for the conditions of, of the professing churches around the land because they do not hold to the truth and the Word of God. And there are those that prophesy that and preach otherwise than what God's Word says. And it says in verse 7, Then shall the seers be ashamed. These are the ones that are supposed to know. And diviners confounded. They'll be confused. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. They'll cover their lips. This is a sign of an emblem of mourning and silence. That's what they would do. Now, in verse 8, we have a magnificent outburst of God's true prophet. And this was Micaiah's confession in verse 8. I want you to notice. He says, but truly I am full of the power of, by the Spirit of the Lord. He confessed his knowledge, his power, his strength from God and by God's Spirit. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might. Now, why? To declare unto Jacob his transgressions. These false prophets were letting them get by with their transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, he was not afraid to tell what sin was and what their transgressions were. And if we have that kind of a leadership of the Holy Spirit, we'll call sin what it is and we'll call righteousness what it is. And it's a, it, you have to be full of the power by the Spirit of the Lord in order to do that. And you know, in a way, I want to give you in Luke chapter 4, if you'll turn please. What Jesus said about himself in his first sermon, but in a sense, every one of us are to, that are preachers should have the Spirit of the Lord upon us. I want to begin reading in the fourth chapter of Luke. Did I say Luke? Fourth, verse 16 is where I'd like to read. I don't know if that's what I gave you or not. Did I say that to start with? Okay, Luke 4, verse 16. And this is Jesus' first sermon. After that temptation that he had with Satan... In the 40 uh, days in the wilderness, and he was afterward in hunger, and after that great temptation. I want you to notice verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, by the way, he was in cust- it was customary for him to go to the house of God. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias, or, or Isaiah. Esaias is the New Testament equivalent of, of the of Isaiah of the Old Testament. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. By the way, before we read any further, let me stop here. Did you know in those days it was just a book? We didn't have chapter divisions. We didn't have verse divisions. And he found the place where it was written. Of course, they were familiar with the Scripture. We, we didn't have chapter divisions until the 12th century A.D. No chapter divisions. And the verse divisions came in about uh, 1500-something. I have a little book and if you ever get a chance to get it, it's called All About the Bible by Sidney Collette, I believe is his name. And it tells you where each translation came from and what happened through the years and how the canon of scriptures came into being and all about it. But we didn't have any chapters. Imagine what it would be for you to look back in the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, 
now that we know it of. And try to find the place where this particular thing was written. You'd have to know your Bible, wouldn't you? That shows me that those Jewish people of that day, and especially Jesus, he knew his Bible. Of course, you say, well, he was divine. But he knew. He found the place where it was written. He turned to it. And it says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, what we're getting back to is the Spirit of the Lord. Because remember, in our text, if you still have your place open, and I trust that you have it open to Micah as well, chapter 3 and verse 8, he said, But truly I am full of the power by the Spirit of the Lord. Full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Now here Jesus said, you have your place in Micah chapter 3 verse 8, and also in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He closed the book and gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And He began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears, and all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Let's stop there for a moment. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Now then, I know that Jesus was anointed with a Spirit above everyone else. And it says, The Father giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. But I know this, that preachers have to be anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. For their word, or deacons, or whoever gives a message for it to go deeper than just head knowledge. It has to reach our hearts. And when the Holy Spirit of God bears witness to the word of truth, it's applied to your heart and you receive it as from God. And that's what we need in this day and hour, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And all Christians are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here, I know that this is concerning Jesus. You read in Hebrews chapter 1, and it tells us that He's anointed Him, Christ, with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And you read in Hebrews chapter 1, concerning the Son, it says, But unto the Son He saith, God the Father speaks unto the Son. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. And it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And he goes on to say, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And so we find that it's applied to Jesus. Now back here in Micah chapter 3, if you will, in verse 8. But truly I am full of the power, of power, by the Spirit of the Lord. And of judgment, of judgment, and of might. You see, he knew how to, to preach the truth. And he says, to declare unto Jacob his transgressions, transgression, and to Israel his sin. Now the true prophets of old did not mind pointing out the transgressions and sins of Israel and Judah. And then the next verses, verses 9 through 12, shows the verdict of judgment, and he tells what's going to be their reward and their hire and their judgment that's going going to come upon them. And again, he repeats what is said in verse 1. Here I pray you, verse 1, 
In verse 9, he says, Hear this, I pray you. And who's he addressing? First of all, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel. Let's stop there for a moment. See, leadership is responsible. And he says, he calls them to record. Hear this, I pray you. Who's he talking about? He's not saying, hear ye people of Israel. Sure, they were addressed as well. But he's getting on the leadership of the people. And you know, as we have leaders in our nation, we need leaders in our churches. And we need those leaders to to follow God's word. He says, hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They perverted it. They're like those in Isaiah 5. You remember Isaiah 5, verse 20. You ought to keep that scripture in mind. That call good evil and evil good. Isaiah 5, verse 20. And by the way, if you want to turn back there, I'll show you why many of them were... Why many of them did that. Turn to Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. You have it? That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. They thought they knew better than God. And he says, And prudent in their own sight. Now look at this, verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. And men of strength, these leaders, to mingle strong drink. Which justify the wicked for reward. They take bribes and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. What God say? What caused it? I wish they had up in our Congress and Senate today, like when Abraham Lincoln, he says, what are you going to serve the people to drink? He says, some clear spring water. Amen. Now, I know that we have a lot of good, good senators and governors and congressmen and so on, but we have a lot of them that are not, too. It says, hear this, I pray you. You have uh, Micah 3, verse 9. I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. Now look, they build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. He tells us that these heads and these rulers were responsible for the way things were going. The heads thereof judge for reward. The priests thereof teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, it is not Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. They still thought nothing bad will happen. But God says it's going to. And he's he's going to tell what will happen in a moment. The prophecy of the judgment that the verdict is already made. And what do they do? They judge for reward. I have in my Bible in verse 11, reward circle. And the priest thereof teach for hire. Circle the word hire. And the prophets therefore divine for money, circle the word money. Reward, hire, and money. Isn't that what it all amounts to today? Reward, hire, and money. You say, well, they're the necessary things for life. Sure. But the love of it, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. Money's good if you use it good for good. And I hope God prospers every single person uh, here this evening. And God will prosper you if you'll do what's right. He will bless you. And you know, we ought to be like the... One in the Old Testament that we read of, he says, give, give me neither poverty nor riches. He says, if you give me poverty, I might steal. Deny the Lord. I might be led to steal. But if you give me riches, then, then he had another problem. But he says, feed me with food convenient for me. So whatever God gives you and supplies your needs, be thankful for it. And use it for good. And we're told in the book of Ecclesiastes just how to take the uh, blessings that we've earned, the, the money that... And the, 
finances that we've earned by the sweat of our brow, face, and how to use them and to to provide for our families, we're told to enjoy those things of life as a result. But any other way to use them is wrong. By the way, you shouldn't go drink them up. God, or you shouldn't go gamble them away. People have got this gambling bug today. And they're making casinos and gambling halls everywhere. Uh, Brother uh, Cook was just telling me they made one down there close to Wichita Falls on that uh, highway going across. I forget what highway it was, but he can tell you how to serve. But anyway, they're making these. You know what it does? It takes away money from people. And I've seen people that could not afford to put food on the table. In fact, I could tell you an experience of one that went into a store where Nancy's husband, Troy, he's passed on now, worked up in the Upper Canyon. And I could tell you of Troy telling me about this man coming in and buying his groceries on credit and asking the owner of the store, and Nancy will know who I'm talking about, for $2 at a time to go down here and bet on a horse, in addition to buying his groceries on credit. Now, that's the kind of thing that I hate. If you have to buy your groceries on credit, don't borrow money to gamble with. But that that happens, and it ruins people. And of course, he had a, a problem with alcohol, too. Back to some other things I've mentioned here. And the Bible tells us that we need to beware of that. Someone was telling me the other day that they heard a preacher preaching on the radio or television one that was telling that there was nothing in the Bible that told you not to drink a strong drink. He hadn't studied his Bible very much, had he? The Bible says, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath redness of eyes? Who hath wounds without a cause? They that tarry long at wine. You read the 23rd of Proverbs and you'll find a whole lot of things that talks about it. Well, that's the number one drug alcohol in our whole nation is alcohol. Some of you may remember, I don't know how many as old as I am, but Sam Morris that used to preach on a station in Mexico, XERF in Mexico, and he's called the voice of temperance in those days. And he had what I call a sledgehammer message on alcohol and strong drink. He was raised up in a family of about nine or I think there were nine children, if I remember the figure right, but it was a large family. The, his dad would go out and take all the money that he made and buy alcohol and drink. He was a drunkard, just an out-and-out drunkard. And he'd come home and beat his mother. And he had uh, domestic violence in his family all of his life. And this young man, Sam Morris, grew up to be a preacher, but he preached on temperance. It's called the Voice of Temperance. And I have some of his sermons down there in my library. But I'm telling you, he found no good in it. He went back from the days of Noah right on down to the Old Testament. You know, that's the first thing that happened to Noah after the flood. Went out and planted a vineyard and got drunk. And then you know the evil that that, that came about that. Look at Lot. What happened to him and his two daughters? They got him drunk. They had two nations born of him from incest. And then they turned around and they, the cursed nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, and they were not permitted to enter into the congregation of the Lord under the tenth generation. But thank God Ruth, a Moabitess, found grace in the eyes of Boaz, and Boaz redeemed her from that curse and took her into uh, his arms and married her and redeemed her from all of that. And Boaz is typical of Jesus who has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. He redeemed us. But anyway, there's all kinds of stories in the Old Testament where uh, what happened in David's day. He tried to get old Uriah drunk. 
after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he tried to cover up his sin. It didn't work. Uriah was an honorable man. He went back out to the battlefield and he was carrying a note, a letter in his own hands of his own demise, of his own destruction, of his own judgment. And he went to the forefront of the battle and gave it to the commander. And the commander followed the, uh, jo, Joab, was it? He followed the directions of David and he put Uriah in the forefront of the battle. And Uriah was smitten and along with him others.